And turn with me to the New Testament book of Colossians. Colossians in chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Oh, Father in heaven, meet us here now in the study of your word. Oh, may your Holy Spirit move in a mighty way among us. Open our eyes and soften our hearts that we might receive the truth of the word of God. And that we might be transformed. That we might see you and ourselves in this world differently in light of this truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I wonder, how did you learn to pray? I wonder, like me, did it begin with, now I lay me down to sleep? Little poetic, uh, little rhymes. It helped us to understand the need to pray. Around the dinner table, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. Well, that's the heart of it, isn't it? He is indeed great and he is indeed good. Let us thank him. Well, it is wonderful to start there. But friends, we ought not to stay there. The fact is that your prayer life reflects what it is you know about your God. Take a moment to think about that. As we look at Colossians chapter 1, Paul begins, um, well, I would say all of his letters that I can think of off the top of my head with prayer. Always seems to include a prayer for, for the church in which he is writing. And friends, if we're going to learn to pray, you know, how can we do it? We, we listen to the prayers of others. Oh, okay, they say it that way. Okay, that must, they're seasoned Christians. Perhaps that's the way to go. Perhaps we study the prayers of the Bible. But you know what's even better than that? Study the Word of God. And as you read the Word of God, you better understand the things you ought to be praying about. Paul begins with prayer, as he does in, and again, many of his letters, if not all of them. We would be good students of the Word of God and good students of prayer to take careful note of this. And today we're going to examine carefully Paul's prayer in the Colossians to see what we can bring into our own prayer life. So join me as we enter into the Apostle Paul's school of prayer. <laughs> this letter that we are about to read... Colossians begins here in verses 1 and 2 with uh, what is perhaps a typical greeting from the Apostle Paul that includes identifying two parties. First of all, himself as the author and as well as the recipient. Um, oftentimes, he will identify those who are ministering with him, particularly if they are known by the church. The Church of Colossae here is, of course, the recipient. And occasionally... He will include a greeting from those serving with him, especially, again, if they are known by the congregation. But let's take a look here in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, 
as that word apostle we've used a number of times, it refers to a person who is dispatched for a specific purpose. There were a couple of requirements, my friends, for, uh, uh, to recognize an apostle, that they had seen the risen Lord, and that God had given them in some way the ability to do great works that would authenticate their calling. And so here we find Paul the apostle by the will of God and Timothy. And he writes verse 2 to the saints. And that is a wonderful way to refer to the church of God. You see, we often think of saints as up there high and oh, they're so different than the rest of us. But the fact of the matter is the word means those who have been set apart. And in all of the people of all of the time, in all of the world, God has set you apart for himself. We are the saints of Family Bible Church. Not just a few of us, all of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ. To the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now Paul's prayer begins here in verse 3 with our first instruction, and that instruction is to begin with thanksgiving. And what we're going to find is Paul begins with it, and he also ends with it, and then he instructs us about it. Because thanksgiving, my friend, ought to be part of the heart of a believer. If we understood all the goodness of God and his grace in our life, we would spend hours daily weeping and crying and giving gratitude to God. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Then he tells them why. Reason number one for the church's growth. And they grew in different ways, my friends. For example, their faith in Christ. Paul says here in verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and because of their love for the saints and of the love that you have for all of the saints. And then comes the trifecta, my friends, of faith, love, and hope because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Their faith pointed them to God, their love pointed them outward to others, and their hope caused them to look forward. And this was a good church, my friend, particularly because they were living in the midst of a world full of heresies about God. It wasn't people yelling and screaming, Jesus is in God! It was people that said, Oh, just Jesus? Oh he's, a, oh, he's a great God. I mean, he's one of the best gods out there. Did you catch that? One of? Yeah. Beware. Know the truth, my friend. And so he was thanking God because of their growth and their growing success of the gospel. Notice here at the end of verse 5, of this you have heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. Imagine a couple of bumbling disciples sent out to preach the gospel. 
And there it was all over the world. Hmm. And people were coming to faith. Look at verse 6. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful ministry of, minister of Christ on your behalf and has made, to, made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so here is a good and growing church in all the right places. And Paul is thankful. But in Paul's school of prayer, we must also pray for the church. And when we do, we pray for continued growth. Growth, look at that. He just gave him a good report. And he says, ah, but there's more. Oh, there's more. Always room to grow. Look at verses 9 to 12. He says, uh, pray for spiritual growth, that they would be filled with God's will. Look at verse 9. He says, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And there is that word, filled. Filled to the full. They were soaking it in my friend. That was the desire. That they would know the will of God and they would live it out and they would talk about it and they would share their experiences in it. Oh, Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. And that they would live to please him. There's the target right there, isn't it, my friend? Living to please God. We come into this world. We don't need any instructions. We're already designed and, dis, you know, focused on pleasing ourselves. I want this now. One of the first words, it seems, a child learns is no. <laughs> and they're not afraid to use it. <laughs> Hold out your hands for the little one. No, I want mommy. <laughs> and you ain't mommy. Yeah. And so praying, praying, my friends, for spiritual growth, that they would be filled and that they would live to please God. Look at this. So as, verse 10 to walk in a manner, that word walk talks about a lifestyle. That the manner in which that you live is worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to him. That's the goal. Not to walk in fear, but to walk in love. To desire to live in such a way that pleases God. It is like a... A young couple that trips all over them. Say, oh, no, let me do that for you. I can't wait. To, oh, let me get the door. Let me get that. Let me help you with that. Let me help you with help. They fall all over themselves. Remember those days? Yeah. We long to stand before him 
and to say, behold, with what you gave me, this is what I was able to do, like a kindergartner in a paper plate and glue and all the colors, and I made this for you. And it came from the heart. Yeah. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to him. And he continues here in verse 10. These are things that Paul is praying for this church. Ought to be on our, our mindset here, my friends, in our purview. Bearing fruit in every good work. I mean, that's the point of a, script, of, of a uh, Christian, is to be bearing fruit. God has planted within us life. And bearing fruit means there ought to be something coming out of our lives that is good for someone else. Something that is being produced within us that is of value to others, an encouragement to others. And so Paul prays that they would bear good fruit and that they would know God. You say, what do you mean? They're Christians. They know God. Oh, friends, that word gnosko is uh, intensified with the word epi before it, epi gnosko, and it means to know by experience, that you would know by experience the God you serve that you have seen his goodness, that you have seen his loving care, that you have seen his compassion in your life, that you know all of the attributes of God, not by a list in your head, but by the experiences of your life, that you might know him, not know of him, but know him, and know him well. And that you would be strong, he prays. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. The ability to keep plodding forward, patiently waiting, and with joy. There's a picture of a Christ follower who is filled with the Holy Spirit. After all, it is the fruit of the joy is the fruit of the Spirit's work in our life. When we find joy, it is because the Spirit of God is at work in us. And ultimately here in verse 12, he says, giving thanks, and there it is again, that we would be thankful, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Astounding that we would be grateful. This is, this is a question we must ask ourselves. Am I grateful? I'm not asking, do you say thankful, thank you at the appropriate times? I'm talking about gratitude. That's the stuff on the inside. Saying thank you is the stuff on the outside. Polite people say thank you. People who realize the goodness of God and the grace in their lives are grateful. 
They recognize what they have. How good God has been to them. It is a state of gratitude that we have. Paul says, that's what I want for you. Now we are about to enter a very, very unique and special section of Scripture. Not just of this letter, but of the whole book, my friends. And it tells us much about the nature of Jesus and what he has done for us. And this is laid out again by the Apostle Paul to this church, for they were facing various heresies and and untruths about God all around them, lies swirling. Paul says, this is the truth. Hold on to this. Hold on to this. Scholars have referred to verses 15 to 18 as the great Christology. It has also been called the great Christian hymn as the form of these verses and probably Hebrew poetry. So take careful note, my friend, as Paul in his prayer talks about God. You see, it begins with praise. Praise, first and foremost, for what Christ has done. Note verse 13, what Christ has done in your life if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. There's a picture right there. This is where you were living in darkness, in sin, of hopelessness, of wickedness, of hell. God has transferred you into the kingdom of his Son, where there is hope and there is goodness and there is compassion and there is comfort. There is goodness and kindness and love. These are the things for which we are to be grateful because we could not do this by ourselves. You will notice that it is the work of God that has done this. We didn't decide one day, you know, I don't like the conditions around here. It was God at work in our life to save us. And so praise the Lord for what he has done. He has delivered us. Praise him for who he is. Look at verse 15. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Imagine that. This is the opportunity to see the one who cannot be seen. The invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Now you will note that word image is the Greek word icon, which is also the uh, people who care for our copying machine, icon. To call Christ the image of God is to say that in him, that's Jesus, the being and nature of God have been perfectly manifested. In other words, my friends, that in him the invisible God becomes visible. 
Firstborn, of course, here. He is the firstborn. What are we talking about? A lot of people have been born before Jesus. We go back and we figure out the date, probably in the springtime. You know, we know a lot of people were born before Jesus. What are we talking about firstborn? Well, my friends, that expression indicates the Jesus priority in time. In other words, the supremacy and the rank of his sovereignty. He is above all that has been born. Talking about the word preeminence here today. You know what that means? Above all else. Ain't no one in competition with the Lord. Sometimes people see that it's uh, Jesus and Satan and they're kind of on the same. That ain't the case, my friends. Oh, God, he's far above Satan. Satan is a created angel, fallen. Jesus is the very creator. No, no, there's not on the same plane anyone. And so he is... He is, my friend, the supreme and rank sovereign one. And by him, verse 16, note carefully, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. This short list is likely the dominion of angels, different orders. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus, the creator. It is important that we think of Jesus in this way. In the beginning, when God spoke, it is Jesus. Jesus, the creator. He is God. He is preeminent over all. He is creator. He is the image of God, the creator. And look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the glue that holds it all together. What keeps everything together from becoming untogether? Why doesn't the world just come apart right now because the Lord Jesus holds it all together. You see, he is the principle of cohesion in the universe. He impresses upon creation that unity and solidarity which makes it a cosmos instead of chaos. He is all in all. Friends, is your view of Jesus becoming greater and greater by the study of the Word of God? I sure hope it is. It ought to broaden your understanding of who this Jesus, born in Bethlehem, it truly is. He is God. And you will note also in verse 18, he is the head of the church. He is the head of the church. The church is his body. He is the head. He is over it all. Me, I'm nothing but an under-shepherd. I work for the king, just like you. And we all serve him together in the way that he has called us. He is the head of the body, the church. 
And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, there it is, preeminence. And Paul was not saying that Jesus was the first person to be raised from the dead, not saying that at all. But he is the most important of all who have been raised from the dead. That term first means above all. It's what he's talking about. He's not talking about an order. He's talking about this way, not this way. (laughs) It's not about a timeline. It is about preeminence. And so, my friends, he is the head of the body. That word head there is kephale. People have argued about it. What do we mean by head? Now, head can either mean origin or authority, but in this case, my friends, it means both. He is the origin of the church, and he is the authority over the church. So he is the head of the church. He is the firstborn from the dead. And note here carefully in verse 19, for in him, in Jesus, All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In other words, what God is, Jesus is. And that word dwell speaks of permanence. Permanence. He will never be less God. He will never be more God, for he is just God. He is the word of God. And what God is, Jesus is. And what Jesus is, God is. And friends, in this list of what we ought to pray Jesus for because of what he has done, delivering us from the domain of darkness for who he is. He is God. And here as we come to verse 20, for what he will do. And what he will do, my friends, is make peace. It is a standard Jewish greeting. Shalom. Peace. The possession of adequate resources. We have all that we need. We worry not about yesterday, today, or tomorrow. You see, what he will do is he will make peace in this world. Notice verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. You see, everything is in somewhat chaos because of sin. Division everywhere. We start drawing lines of nations and counties and cities and properties and rooms and this and that. And there is a great division. You see what the Lord Jesus will ultimately do? is bring it all back to the intended creation before Adam and Eve selfishly threw away all of the goodness of God and said, we just want a bite of fruit. It's just a bite. And they lost it all out of the garden. Sin and death enters the world and it gets worse every day. But notice... What he will do, my friends, the goal, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, or earth or heaven, 
and making peace by the blood of his cross. So we know what the goal is. Now we know the means. The means was not to come and preach or to set a good example. While he did both of those, my friends, the ultimate purpose was to come and die in order to reconcile all things to himself. You see, verse 21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. You and me, every last one of us lived in a way to dishonor God, selfishly only thinking of ourselves. God has delivered us from that life of emptiness and hopelessness and discontent through the blood of the cross. Now, the blood of the cross, of course, is his death. It wasn't a blood donation, my friends. Yes, my goodness, he bled indeed, but it was not his bleeding. It was his death that purchased these things. In order... And this is why he did it. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. God at work transformation of a life it is the goal so my friends as we wrap up perhaps we put this sermon in a sentence the content of your prayers reveals the depth of your understanding of God and certainly the more you know about him you will begin to pray differently to him not carelessly not rotely Things that you begin to include in your prayers begin to be the things that you understand. But regardless of how you pray, my friends, you pray in faith. It's not about special words. There's no magic potion, particular order. If you say this, this, and this, then you get that, that, and this. It's not how it works, friends. It's a relationship. I'll talk to my wife differently than I did 40 years ago. I'm not certain I knew her 40 years ago, but <laughs> you understand the point. As we grow in our relationship, the words, the context, the concept is the changed. So pray. Pray for heaven's sakes. Pray the same way you learn to walk. You do it every day. And you get better. And study the prayers of the Bible. You will be shocked what you find. Listen to the prayers of others. Particularly those of the seasoned saints. Who've been there a while. Who've been through it. Who know the grace and mercy of God. But guard yourself. Guard yourself. The only authority on prayer is Jesus himself. The rest of us, we're still learning. 
and be led by the Spirit of God. Let's not forget the work of the Spirit of God in our life as we bow our head. We submit ourselves to God and worship. Worship the great God of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for technology that works sometimes the way we like it, and sometimes not so. But we are grateful. We are grateful, God, for the, your word and for your son, Jesus, who is God, not just the nice man. Oh, help us to live in a way to please him today. And as we begin to sing our way out of here, God, help us that we sing from the heart. We speak from the heart. And we live in a way that honors you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We won't start now, now that you wanted to. <laughs>